Well, good morning and welcome. Uh, who's feeling bold this morning? Is this just like, this is your day. You could conquer the world. And I'm talking like, today's the day you could ask for that raise. You would get that promotion. Today's the day you would ask that girl out. Maybe. What about this? Anyone feeling like they want to preach this morning? Just like, come on up. Seriously, anyone? Okay, cool. Uh, I'm typically not a very bold person, but I am wearing my shirt with snowflakes on it, so that says something. Uh, the passage we're going to be looking at today, though, in Mark chapter 10, we see one of the boldest requests for the biggest promotions that someone could ask for. Jesus just takes it and dumps it right upside down. Uh, we're going to be looking into that text in a moment. But we've been going through this series on our life journey. Uh, last week we looked at grow, this week we're focusing on serve, uh, and this, this whole journey that if you look at your bulletin you'll see a little, like, little map, green circle with pictures and stuff, uh, all of these steps are focused inward to worship. All that we do is focused on worship. Uh, let me pray and then we'll open the scriptures together. Oh yeah, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have made communion between man and God possible. Uh, we thank you that uh, through your sacrifice, our worship is pleasing to you. Uh, and Lord, you have given us so many gifts. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us this morning, reveal more of yourself to us, bring us greater understanding of your good character. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. <laughs> Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 35, we'll be reading till verse 45. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, that's Jesus, teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever you ask. Okay, let's just pause for a second, realize what's happening, we'll jump the like, contextual bridge. Uh, imagine you are an apprentice welder and you're going to a journeyman, or you're a college student and you're going to the dean of academics, or you're a teenager going to your mom, and your opening line is, hey, I'm going to ask you something, but before I do, you just... Just say yes, okay? Just promise me that you're going to say yes. Yeah? Cool? Okay. So no wonder Jesus' response was, what do you want me to do for you? Yeah, it turns out when you ask your boss or your mom your request and they question you, they're being pretty Christ-like. They say, you know, one of the challenges I have when I read Scripture uh, Actually, it might be more of a game than a challenge. Uh, I like to kind of guess, what's the tone of voice that Jesus is talking with here? Uh, is it like skepticism questioning, like, mm, what do you want me to do for you? Or just like irritated, eye-rolling, what do you want me to do for you now type of thing? Uh, I, I actually think Jesus would speak in a posture of willingness. Just, uh, yes, what, what would you like me to do for you? Well, they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. And they had no idea what they were committing themselves to. They had no idea the road of suffering that was about to take place. Uh, but they knew that Jesus kept talking about glory and about a great kingdom that was coming in, and they fixated on that. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. 
but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And when the ten heard this, they became indignant with James and John. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them? And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the radical, upside-down kingdom that Jesus is ushering in. In order to be great, in order to hold positions of honor, uh, we must be humbled. We must be lowered. We must become a slave. Now, in the Roman culture, or any culture for that matter, uh, they would pride themselves on freedom, on authority that they would have over other people. And you know what? We do this too. The higher up the ranks we get, the less people that we answer to and the more people that we give orders to dictates our superiority and the success that we have found in this world. But Jesus is saying, no, this isn't the way I function. This is not so. And you must forfeit your rank, spend a lifetime in service to another. And if we kind of read in between the lines, we know who our service should be oriented to. Here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus himself did not come to be served, but he came to serve. Jesus is breaking the mold of what it means to serve, what it means to be a servant, and what it means for us to serve. Servants are not the lowly on this earth. No, we have much to learn from them. And if we want to understand how God's kingdom functions, we too need to recognize our position of service. Now, Jesus has tons to say on what it means to serve. Uh, And, you know, I could simply take a passage like this or one of the many other ones that Jesus uses to teach this and say, hey, Jesus served, we're supposed to be like Jesus, so go find somewhere to serve. And, you know, we could actually make it sound pretty inviting, pretty inspiring, Uh, but eventually we're going to get tired, we're going to get bored, we're going to lose our passion, and we'll slump back into our regular routines. And that's not what I want. And instead, this morning, I want to explore the why. Why was serving such an important topic to Jesus? Why did he spend so much time explaining it and re-explaining it and re-explaining it? And why does this need to be an important topic to us? Now, in order to really get the full understanding of what Jesus is trying to teach James and John in this story, we need to zoom out a little bit, take a step back, look at the greater context. (laughs) Number one rule When we're studying scripture, context is king. There's no isolated verses. They're all connected to a greater narrative. So if we back up a little bit, we discover that James, John, Jesus, the other disciples, they're on their way to Jerusalem. But Jesus has also just predicted he's going to die. He's saying, guys, uh, soon, like really soon, I'm going to be mocked, spit on, put on trial. I will be killed, and I will raise again. Okay? Okay. Now, after our verse, we see the triumphal entry where Jesus goes into Jerusalem uh, and people are waving palm palm branches saying, Hosanna, this is our king. Uh, But he's literally on his road to death. The disciples don't understand Jesus' death. 
They don't understand what it means when he's going to suffer, even though he just told them very plainly. It's just, just not landing for them. They don't get it. But they do know that Jesus is going to be a king. And they do know that there will be glory and honor and power. And that's what they are focused on. Therefore, a power struggle prompts James and John to present the seemingly ridiculous request to Jesus. Let us sit at your right and your left. Now, James and John, along with Peter, kind of create an inner circle within the disciples. These three, uh, Jesus spends significantly more time with them than the other nine. Here's the issue. Jesus, as any other ruler, he has a right and he has a left. There are two seats. There are three disciples in this inner circle. So, Peter, or James and John want to secure these positions of power, these positions of honor, before Peter can secure his. They want to secure these two seats. It's interesting. Uh, Matthew's gospel has pretty much an identical parallel to this story in Matthew chapter 20, uh, but there's one notable difference. And he says, when I sit on my glorious throne, he's teaching his disciples, each one of you, each one of you 12, will also be seated upon a throne. The disciples know something's coming. The disciples know that they are going to be honored. The big question is, what order are they going to be sitting in? Does it seem unreasonable for James and John to make their request? They knew they were going to be honored. They knew they were higher up in favor with the disciples. Every kingdom they knew of functioned in this order. They knew that Jesus was going to be king, and if he was going to be the kind of king they thought he was going to be, they knew that they're going to be there with him. Now, the other, uh, the other ten disciples, when they heard James and John were making this request, move, making this move, uh, it says they became indignant with them. They were upset. And they weren't upset because they knew James and John were making a poor request or asking the wrong questions. No, they were upset because James and John beat them to it. All of them were focused on glory. All of them wanted positions of power. This is why Jesus teaches what it means to truly serve and what it means to become great in the kingdom. Backing up a little bit further, uh, just the verse before Jesus predicts his death, Mark 10, verse 31, we read something very familiar, oddly familiar, actually. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. We've already read this verse this morning, but it was a different verse. Uh, the climax of our story is not a standalone passage. It's actually something that's already been taught, and only 12 verses earlier. Now, there's a number of literary tools that Mark, the author of our story, uses as he's writing that help highlight Jesus' main teaching. And one of these tools is called a sandwich, a Markin sandwich, to be exact. Um, didn't make this up. This is legit. Markin, meaning that it occurs in the book of Mark. Pretty simple. Sandwich, meaning that uh, one story is being told, gets interrupted by a second story, and then we come back to the conclusion of the original story. It creates this layer, top layer, introduces a concept, bottom layer kind of elaborates, bring greater meaning into it, but really it's that meat in the middle, that story of interruption that we want to focus on. That's what everything's pointing to. So, when we look at our passage, Mark 10, 31, many who are first will be last, top layer. 
Mark 10.45, repeats this and adds, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, bottom layer, in the middle, we have the prediction of Jesus' death. At the center of Jesus' teaching on how we should pursue service, he inserts his own example of self-sacrificial service. Jesus is the greatest of us all. But he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus has identified himself in the hierarchy of this upside-down kingdom, for the greatest must become the least. Nobody is exempt. Whoever would be first must become last. Now, this is actually the third time that Jesus has predicted his death in the book of Mark. We just looked at chapter 10. Uh, He also predicts in chapter 9, and he also does it in chapter 8. And each time he does it, he builds bringing more details to it, which is another literary device used, repetition. The scriptures use repetition as an exclamation mark. Uh, The author isn't confused of, did I tell the story already? I better tell it again just in case I forgot it. No, they do it to highlight a point. If something is repeated, that's saying, hey guys, pay attention, something big's happening here. So we see Jesus predicted his death three times, but we also will find out Jesus repeats his call to service, this upside-down kingdom, three times. We've already looked at Mark chapter 10, uh, verse 45, and verse 31. But again, Mark chapter 9, verse 35, reads, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. So now three times, in just two chapters, Jesus brings his teaching on this upside-down kingdom and what it means to serve and what it means to be great. This is not a coincidence. Mark is telling us, hey, guys, pay attention. These are some of Jesus' two most important teachings, and we need to discover what's going on. So what is going on? Jesus is challenging our expectation of what it means to be great and what it means to follow the king of glory. Jesus came to this earth in an unexpected way. The Jews didn't even recognize it when he was here. God's own people didn't realize that their promised savior had arrived. Well, that's because the Jews were expecting that someone with power and might would be coming to rescue them and deliver them. And you know what? They had good reason to believe it. Isaiah prophesied of a redeemer, of a savior such as this. We can read passages found in Isaiah, like Isaiah chapter 9, that the government will be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah 19, he will send them a savior and defender. He will rescue them. Isaiah 52, the Lord will lay bare his holy arm in sight of all the nations, and they will cry out, our God reigns. Isaiah 61, He'll proclaim the good news, bind the brokenhearted, and free the captives. The Savior that is prophesied about is a mighty God. The Savior is an awesome Lord. This is what they expected to come. But Isaiah seemingly contradicts himself because he also prophesies about a suffering servant. Uh, in the passages Isaiah 50 to 53, we read things like, the one that's going to come and rescue you, he's going to be mocked. He's going to be spit on. He'll be despised, rejected by mankind. He will suffer. He will be wounded. He will be punished for our transgressions. He'll be an innocent one put to death. 
he will bear the sins of many. You know, in Mark chapter 10, when Jesus is predicting his death, he takes all of these focal points and uses them. He's like, when we go into Jerusalem, I'm going to be mocked and spit on. I'm going to suffer and I will die. People get excited about the awesome Lord, about this mighty rescuer that's going to come, but they don't really understand the suffering servant. How can someone like this save us? How can someone like this rescue us? How can someone like this bring us freedom? And you know, the the disciples thought the same way. Jesus spoke very plainly about his suffering, yet they didn't get it. They didn't focus on that. They focused on the glory. They knew that their king was going to be mighty, and that's what they chose to fixate themselves on. Thus, in Mark 10, 45, again, I'll read, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is Jesus' self-identification, that he is both the prophesied awesome Lord and the suffering servant. He is both Son of God and the one that is going to die. Jesus is showing he is the mighty Savior that they thought, but he's not going to show his might in the military sense, not yet. No, first, his might will be manifested through a suffering servant. This is the kingdom of God that has come down to us. Come down to free the prisoners, lift up the lowly, bring hope to the nations, and lavish us with grace, a kingdom where sinners can enter into, for they are no longer sinners. A kingdom where the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This former part of the verse, this ransom for many, uh, this is Jesus' work. No one else can fulfill this. We're not called to fulfill this. This is the doing of the Son of God, and he has fulfilled it. He alone can be the ransom that pays our debt. Because of that, we are no longer slaves to sin. But we are slaves to God. We're told that in order to be first, we must become a slave. Now, the term here for slave, uh, it's actually a bond slave or a bond servant. And the distinction is uh, a regular servant, I guess you could say, uh, is working to pay off a debt. And once that debt is paid off, he is free to go on his way. A bond slave is owned. He's the possession of another, and he lives a lifetime in service to another. Freedom is not in sight. We are slaves to God. We are owned by God. We can't pay off our debt. This ransom that Jesus paid for us, we can't pay that back. Therefore, God owns us. And we are slaves to him. But just as God's kingdom is not of this world, his rule and his authority is not of this world either. He doesn't function like rulers that we know today. For his yoke is easy. His burden is light. His reward is holiness. And holiness leads to eternal life. We are slaves to God because we are no longer slaves to sin. That is freedom. Now, with this, we've been invited to the former portion of our verse that we are not here to be served. No, we are here to serve another. 
John chapter 13, a famous passage where Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. Uh, I find it really interesting how every gospel highlights this topic of service in a really profound way. But after Jesus washes his disciples' feet, he says these words. John chapter 13, verse 13, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. We are not above service. Jesus himself came down to serve, and we are not above our master. Therefore, we also should humble ourselves to service. Jesus has paved the way. He has fulfilled the prophecy of the suffering servant. He has taught us what it means to serve. He has set an example of what service looks like, and now he has commanded us to go and do, like, to do likewise, that we too should serve. So if we've been given all of this, what other response could we possibly have other than obedience? Our allegiance is to God. Our service is to God. But too often, we fall into the same trap of James and John. We get caught living by our world's standards rather than by God's. We live by our cultural rules, not our kingdom rules. And we live and serve by our natural abilities, not our God-given abilities. Now, all of us who are in Christ have been given a gift, uh, and Caleb touched on this quite a bit last week uh, in terms of growth, but it's also true in terms of service, and really, we can't separate these things very well uh, because the more we grow, the more we will find ourselves in positions of service, and the more that we serve, that we'll discover that, that the more we grow. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Uh, he speaks very plainly about how these gifts are to be used. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Every follower of Christ has been given a gift. Now, a gift is different than a skill. Uh, a skill is our natural ability, something that we can practice, something that we can get an education for, something that we can develop and master. A spiritual gift is something that's given to us supernaturally. It is still something that we can hone and develop. But the primary difference between these two is in its application. Whereas our natural skills um, tend to lead to our own success, our own achievements, if we really want to boil it down. Whereas a spiritual gift is used to edify Christ, used to edify the church, used to serve others, as Peter tells us. A spiritual gift has nothing to do with our personal gain, although it does help us grow. It's for the benefit of the kingdom. So there's no question whether we should serve the church. No, the question is how. How are we to serve the church? And to this, there is no blanket, cookie-cutter cookie statement other than we could say serve how you've been gifted to serve. Too often we're drawn to the trap of serving of how we are skilled 
to serve. And this isn't a bad thing. But don't limit yourselves to our natural abilities. We can do both. But please don't get caught in limiting your service to what you can do by your own human strength. Uh, in a moment, we're going to play a video of some of those who serve in our church. Uh, so video people, you can get that ready. First, you know, we can be judgmental. We know that. Everybody knows that. In terms of serving, we can look at an individual and we can come to our own conclusions, our own assumptions of where we think that person would be a successful servant. And a lot of the times, we can actually be right. Um, right in terms of their natural ability, of their own skills that they possess. But when we restrict the work of the saints to our human abilities, we are robbing the church of functioning in the spirit. Now, I have the privilege of rubbing shoulders with many of you who are serving according to your gifts, who are serving in the spirit, and it is an honor to serve in this church with you. For some, it's very stretching. For others, they look back wondering, how in the world did I even get here? And others are just delighting in the places that God is taking them, in places they didn't think they could achieve. Uh, so we put together a video interviewing people who are serving in our church in unexpected ways, in ways that break the mold of our assumptions. Uh, so let's check it out now. First of all, Everybody seems to be happy in the morning. I enjoy saying uh, good morning to everyone. Um, I get to do it with my daughter. And yeah, everybody's happy. Well, I really love the word of God and I love kids and I enjoy being a teacher. Um, and it just started when I was really young and it started off, I was helping twice a week in a classroom and then became helping every week and then teaching once in a while and then teaching more consistently. and. Then I was asked to um, start coordinating a classroom. Because my grandma was doing coffee break on Wednesday mornings and I just needed something to get out of the house. Oh, that's because I was told to. By who? By God. It's really, no, it's weird. Because I've always had a passion to work with youth, but never felt that I was, had enough knowledge or ability to do it. Um, and I went to prayer with it and um, asked God about it. And um, it was right through that Speaking God series. And um, God just said, no excuses, go do it. <laughs> you know I have, because I've come to you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I don't. Never. Yes, I have. I've doubted it. Maybe I wasn't. Um, too old to be working with the youth um, and was I going to bring the value that like what they needed would I have the right answers or would I be able to you know be the support that they needed or so yes I have but I've overcome that <laughs> sometimes because of my age you know we'll feel like uh, I'll be standing there at the counter and I'll be like are the parents you know they're walking in and they're like why is there just a 16-year-old here, and should we be trusting, should we be leaving our kids with, with her? So, sometimes. Christ and prayer has just given me all the confidence I need 
just coming every week and seeing the changes and the difference in the youth. Um, they're a great group, but they, they change and they've evolved. And, and my confidence comes from them because just seeing what an impact we have on them. Yeah, just everybody's smiling and everybody in a good mood. There's such great support in the church and uh, lots of women who really just encourage me and mentor me and have invested so much into me. I'm really thankful for just so many ways that uh, the church has poured into me and has given me um, so many opportunities to really um, grow in, in this, this gifting and this um, ministry that I really enjoy. And just seeing all the kids play and knowing that they want me to come play with them and yeah, that they enjoy having me there. The thing that I, that I hope that they will get out of my teaching is that they'll become more literate in the Bible even at this, this early age that it's starting, that they know about, about God and these, they know these foundational truths. Growing up, the, some of the people that had the biggest impact in my life were childcare workers, and I want to be that kind of person for someone else. Sometimes a child will have something that we've been praying for with them at our blanket time for weeks, and then the next week they'll come in and they'll say, my owie's gone, or you know, my mom is feeling better, or, or whatever it is. And it's really cool for me to be able to see them learning about the power of God in their, in their little lives and in their problems that they're having even now. I think it's uh, really important for my daughter to realize, you know, you don't get paid for everything you do and uh, it's good to volunteer and help out when you can. I think just seeing the joy they have in the Lord um, and the confidence that they have in asking the questions that they ask um, I was raised to be terribly fearful of the Lord. Um, and these kids don't have that. They love the Lord and they, and that's where the confidence comes and just seeing how joyful they are. I just feel that they give back as much as we give. And, it, and it's um, rewarding because they have made me feel that I'm not too old to be there. And they value the things and the experiences that I have. And I think those are some of the fruits from doing the youth ministry. So to those of you who are serving in our church, we say thank you for serving in the spirit and for setting an example for the rest of us to follow. Uh, we had a clip and condense their stories in order to show them this morning. We'll be releasing their whole stories on our media pages throughout the week, so pay attention uh, to when those are coming out. But like I said, you know, it's easy for us to be judgmental. Uh, don't worry, you don't have to do it this morning because I've done it for you already. Um, as I was contemplating, who would be appropriate to show in a video like this? And there are many that could have fit this. We just had time for a few. Uh, I asked myself the question, hey, if I didn't know these people, where would I assume to find them serving in the church? So Spencer, a teenage guy, well, that's an automatic default to setting up chairs and tables, right? But instead, he's providing childcare and establishing healthy role model relationships with our children. Well, that's because Spencer is serving in the spirit. Kathy? Uh, what could I say that you are a well-experienced woman. Uh, you've been in the church for a while. And 
I might expect you could possibly lead a woman's Bible study, but really, I'm going to call on your name when we need something for the bake sale. Instead, uh, Kathy is investing her time as a small group leader every week in our youth ministry, and she is doing an amazing job. That's because Kathy's serving in the Spirit. Wayne, my brother, you look rough and tough. I love it. I respect that beard. But in honesty, I would expect to see you behind a barbecue, flipping burgers out in the back. Now, instead, you have been put on the front lines of this church. You are the first person <clears throat> that we greet, that we see when we come here. And you are leading your family to find their places of service as well. Well, that's because, Wayne, you are serving in the Spirit. And Miriam, a teenage girl, I would probably expect to see you in children's ministry, but as a classroom helper. But you have not let these human expectations limit you. And you have uh, stepped into coordinating a classroom and leading that classroom. That's because Miriam is serving in the Spirit. <clears throat> now, what amazes me, all of these assumptions that I conjured up about these people that we just heard their stories, I'm pretty sure they have all served in those areas before. But how poor would our church be if that's all they did? We as a church are far better off when we serve one another by our spiritual gifts rather than our human abilities. Now, if this is new for you, if, if you're not too sure what your spiritual gift might be, uh, if, if you feel like you've only been functioning by your human skills, natural abilities to this point, first of all, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for serving. I also want to say, um, be open to the work of the Spirit. And to be honest, the easiest way to discover our gift is to try it out. Well, this might be scary. Yes, it might be stretching. Yes, as we heard some share. But the benefit for it, we can't lose that. The value that we as a church receive when you step into serving in the Spirit, we need you. We need all of you. I want to ask you something this morning. As we leave from this place, I just simply want to ask you to say thank you to those that are serving. Uh, I could only highlight four of them this morning, but today there are dozens and dozens of them serving giving up of themselves to benefit the church, to benefit others. So commend them for their work. Here's the conclusion to all of this. I started off by saying, I want to discover the why of serving. Why is serving such an important topic to Jesus, and why does serving need to be an important topic to us? And this is what we've come to. One, because we cannot separate serving from sacrifice from the kingdom. For without service and sacrifice, there would be no salvation. If it was not for the work of the suffering servant, the work of Jesus, we would have no communion with God. There would be no forgiveness of sins. We would not be welcome into the kingdom. And to this, to this work of God, I say, behold, for we serve an awesome God. Next, this life journey that we are going through, this Christian life, all that we do is centered around worship. Worship dictates this. As we serve, it is both an obedient act of worship and a recognition of the suffering servant whom we worship 
and by which worship is made possible. Serving is worship. And finally, because God's kingdom does not function like our earthly kingdoms do. As James and John discovered, Jesus has broken the mold for what it means to serve, for what it means to be a servant. We are being invited further into the kingdom. And the road in is through service. Humble, tangible service to our God. This is the work that has been entrusted to us by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, it is my hope that we each step into roles of service as the Spirit has gifted us. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we recognize our position before you. We know that you are the great one among us. Lord, we also know that you have humbled yourself, and for that we worship you and we praise you. For you are a mighty God. You are our Savior, our Rescuer, our Redeemer, and you are good. Father, we pray that you would empower us Uh, reveal our gifts to us that we may step into this type of service that you are calling us to live. Lord, give us the confidence, the courage that we need. Uh, And Lord, let it not be for our own glory, but for your sake. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.